With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Great to have your company uh, here located in Darwin, uh, moving up here for some quarantine. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, and kicking off uh, today is uh, the poll. Should Don Bradman's childhood cricket pitch stay or go? Uh, jump on our Twitter page, at SportsHourFM, to put your vote in. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty obvious answer, I think. Um, but there's been reports that the cricket pitch is set to be dismantled due to housing developments. Locals say the cricket pitch is a place Bradman first fell in love with the game. However, protocols have been put forward for residential development to go ahead at the location. An article from the ABC News said developers want to build 13 townhouses on the heritage-listed site. Researcher Nick Corbett said it's the key to unlocking his high school cricket years and gives context to the rise of Don Bradman in a town steeped in cricketing folklore. He came across here with the school team and the headmaster and they played scratch matches every Wednesday afternoon. The local council has opposed the redevelopment and the developers are now taking the matter to the land and environment court. Um, so get behind the folklore of this historical cricket pitch um, by jumping on the poll, voting stay and sharing it around. Now to the news of the week, starting off with Melbourne Storm player Christian Welsh who has found himself in trouble for inviting an unregistered guest into his team's Sunshine Coast Resort on Thursday night. This is a breach of COVID-19 protocols and he will spend at least a week on the sidelines. The storm informed the NRL Integrity Unit of the matter and Queensland Government on Friday morning. Welsh has been facing injuries recently and was due to come back in the side this weekend against the West Tigers. But he will be on the sideline now as he undergoes uh, isolation and gets a COVID-19 test. It is expected that he'll be fined by the NRL. North Melbourne have delisted 11 players from their list just after their last game of the season on Thursday night. These players are Jamie McMillan, Majak Dorr, Jasper Pittard, Ben Jacobs, Paul Ahern, Mason Wood, Sam Durden, Marley Williams, Joel Crocker, Lockie Hosey and Tom Murphy. That's 11 players they've delisted um, just after their game uh, on Thursday, which was their last game of the season. Jen Anderson, uh, North Melbourne midfielder, is um, is eight is among eight of the out-of-contract players in total still left on the Ruse list. Tom Brown, they'll want to secure Jen Anderson um, as well for that. Tom Brown reported yesterday that the club has also confirmed on a mutual agreement between themselves and Ben Brown to explore options elsewhere for him next season. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he was a big goal kicker. Um, last season um so yeah he might be a good fit at another club and um for his sake hopefully he does find a home for next season that's for the news of the week uh now we're going to go to a break and uh after the break we're going to hear from our guest uh today paul battaglia who is the sports and recreation coordinator at the Brimbank city council so we're going to hear about how the COVID 19 pandemic um has impacted local council um, but a lot more as well in that. So stick around and uh, tune in on here on the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Our next guest on the Sports Hour show is the Sports and Recreation Coordinator at the Brimbank City Council. You're listening to Brimbank Live on Live FM. Welcome to the Sports Hour show, 
Paul Battaglia. How are you going, Paul? Very well, Max. How are you going? Good, thank you. It's great to have you on. Now, just wanted to start and see how the council, has it been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic uh, much over this time? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone is sort of, um, you know, struggling with it. It's just, uh, I think it's the um, consistency in terms of the change and not knowing what's next. Um, and, and I think when you say struggling, we're probably not going to know the, the full, I guess, impact until um, we're sort of through it with with a lot of the clubs. I think a lot of clubs are working, you know, extremely well to deal with the, the changes and, and being very flexible, as is council and the state sporting bodies are doing a fantastic job to manage it as well um, because day to day, you know, there's things are changing. The club volunteers and things, I, I think, are probably the ones that are impacted the most. They, they are volunteers, but there's been so much more demand on them to do additional things at the club, you know, separate to the day-to-day things they would normally do. And as we know, volunteers are hard to come by. Um, and, yeah, to have them doing additional work to try and get sport back, um, they've done a brilliant job and, and then continue to do so. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge is just the additional requirements that COVID has brought um, right now. But then I think the broader issue is probably uh, after the season, financially what that means for some clubs and whether they'll survive. And we really won't know that until we probably come out of the back end of it. So, yeah, it's yet to be seen. But, yeah, absolutely. It's just the changing environment, like on a day-to-day basis when an announcement's made. Just when you think you get over the last hurdle and you, you, you think you're going in the right direction, then, as you can see, things can change very quickly. Yes. And have clubs asked for support for specific things? Um, I know financially some clubs might be struggling um, has that been one thing and is there anything else that they've asked for during this time? Yeah, I think it's probably more from a financial perspective. Council made a decision to um, for winter clubs specifically to waive um, their fees, um, 100% um, of fees for winter clubs. But not only that, we've got our lease and licence clubs um, like Keelor Basketball Association who are based, based at the basketball stadium. Um, we've waived their fees during the enclosure and we'll continue to work with those groups because we know financially is it a big problem. But I guess the other thing um, from a club perspective is some of the restrictions and, you know, the facilities are set up and historically they've used them in a certain way. They have to use them very differently now and not being able to, you know, train with the same numbers of kids and things like that. So we have um, been in a position where we haven't been able to give, you know, access to facilities at a point in time because of the the outbreak, which just makes it very difficult to manage um, by the clubs. But in terms of other support, we're generally looking at, you know, funding opportunities, getting in touch with them. There's, you know, the state government just put out a, um, a funding opportunity for clubs to get, you know, $1,000. But there's other ways and means that, you know, council are supporting by doing the first clean to their pavilion so the clubs didn't have to do that. We're looking at sort of some hand sanitizers that we're providing for clubs, um, you know, just to get them going. All those small costs, um, they all add up for clubs. So there's a range of different things that council is doing to support. But mainly the main support we're providing is probably trying to help them work through some return to play plans and trying to understand the guidelines. There's so many things out there. So our job is really to probably understand what they are, um, how they work, and then communicate that to clubs to give them a level of comfort. But the state sporting bodies ourselves, Sport and Recreation Victoria, work really well um, you know, and closely together to try and help clubs and support clubs as much as we can. Yes, and uh, 
Can you tell us a bit about your role at the council um, and what you do there? Yep, absolutely. I'm on the sport and rec coordinator. So yeah, we look after everything sport, but not just structured sport. We look after a lot more. So my portfolio, um, I actually look after the um, Killaw Basketball Stadium. So obviously, you know, a, a, a large amount of users in the Killaw Basketball Association based there, plus schools. Also uh, manage the contract um, of the Killaw Golf Course. Um, and my team specifically, um, I've got two sport and rec officers, um, an active communities development officer and a sports programs and booking officer as well. So pretty much what we look after is all, everything to do with um, clubs and their facilities, um, ground allocations, and also, you know, the development and planning around, you know, um, updating and improving um, facilities. But the other arm we do um, have, which is really important, is the informal side of sport. So active community development officer does a lot of, you know, programming and um, informal sport. Um, but, yeah, through our physical activity strategy, trying to get those people who may not want to play structured sport or don't have the ability to play structured sport because of time or, you know, um, you know, financial impacts. So we try low cost activities um, to try and get other people, you know, fit and active in, in the community as well. Yes. And one of those programs you guys have is the Intersport uh, Brimbane Council initiative. Is that, um, that's one thing that helps get people out on the park. Is that, is that uh, one of the biggest things? And can you tell us a bit more about that program? Yeah, absolutely. It's been around um, for a while and I think Brimbank was one of the first councils um, to promote it. So it's a membership subsidy program and it's really important. And in terms of, in terms of saying supporting clubs, this is something we've been you know, supporting clubs for I think now about six or seven years this program's been in place. So what it is, it's a um, program where um, for, I guess, kids age from six to 18 can apply um, through their sporting club. Um, and it's a $200, um, up to $200 membership subsidy that they can get off their membership. So basically they apply to council um, if you're in that category uh, where you need a healthcare card. So for people with low, low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, so they need to be basically six to 18 and have a, a concession card um, and then they're eligible. But what we also do have to try and provide a priority for some of those people who may not get access to sport. We've got a priority period for um, girls, um, also people with disability, um, that if they, um, and first time people that are playing the sport. So just to give them that opportunity. So yeah, $200 off their membership. So they apply to council. We send a letter to their clubs, the clubs, you know, um, basically, uh, um, identify that that particular person is playing for the club and then, yeah, the club invoices council for, you know, if it's 10 members or whatever it might be and we pay the club that money and that comes off the, you know, the participants' membership, which is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. Um, I know from playing at my local clubs um, that a lot of kids have, have benefited from that and been able to get involved at the club. Um, we see facilities uh, continue to grow and get better and better in Brimbank. Has this been a real focus over the last five, ten years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I think Brimbank's one of the leading councils in terms of investment in sports facilities, and that's through what we call our sports facility development plan. And that's um, first come into play in 2012. And a lot of councils do have this plan, but what this is is a 10-year um, capital plan for sports facilities and investment in sport. Um, and it can range from anything from, you know, upgrade to, you know, the, the bigger projects, sports pavilions, you know, flood lighting, female-friendly um, up, uh, upgrades as well. So specific to change rooms to make them female-friendly. But a, a lot of other rolling programs like, you know, kitchen upgrades, irrigation upgrades, coaches boxes goalposts there's probably about 
you know, 20 sort of um, different rolling programs in that. And yes, it has been a huge focus for council because a lot of the facilities are poor and that, that obviously does impact on clubs being able to attract members to their facilities. But um, over the last, probably uh, since it's been in play, which is 2012, we've updated it three times. And, and that's about some of the trends that might have changed, especially female sports. And we've, we've changed a lot of our programs in relation to that. But there's been a huge investment um, for council. And I think the um, last year, we um, council invested an, an extra $10 million into that program to bring some of those projects forward, which is, I think we did something like seven floodlighting um, upgrades. We're doing um, now three pavilion upgrades when we normally do one. So we've really pushed that through. And our council um, and our executive management team have done a fantastic job in supporting sport. Um, and that's been fantastic for the community and our clubs because they're the ones that benefit out of, it, um, out of those upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see it uh, visually when you drive across Brimbank, the, the changes. Um, women's sport, is, it's growing. And um, the recent announcement of the Women's World Cup to be hosted by Australia and, um, and New Zealand will give it a real big boost. Um, yep. have, have the council made any changes to cater for this? And, and even in general, um, yeah, what are some of the changes that you guys have made? Yeah, it's been a huge focus and it is council's focus. And that's what we talk about some of the trends um, in terms of, you know, our facilities. So two years ago, we updated our sports facility development plan because we saw um, state government were changing that. Uh, the Office of Women in Sport was developed by state government. A lot more funding was, you know, put towards that. So that's why we have a female-friendly program in the sports facility development plan. And what that is, is upgrading the facilities to make sure they are benefiting the females um, and, and having the capacity to support um, the sport. But there's a range of other things we're doing informally as well through Be Active. We're running a lot of programs, but something that council was just, um, you know, part of now was um, it was a women's um, participation sport in um in Melbourne's West Action Plan for Change, it's called, which was five other metro councils, and that's about um, a bit of a, a bit of work that's done about what can we do to further support women and get women involved in sport. And it's not just about facilities; it's it's more than that. It's about changing culture of clubs. It's about um, working with you know committees to get that equality on boards where it's not male dominated getting 50 50 so there's a range of things that that's come out of that particular document which will be adopted by council in um in august actually um and that's something that the western region council is going to work on together so that's a huge um element of that as well but not only that we have discounts in our fees and charges policies um, that if you have female teams or if you have um, a number of committee members in terms of, you know, 50% of your committee that we give you discounts. So wow. there's quite a few things that we've done to implement and support um, female sport and actively encourage that. But probably the other one, um, which we well know that a lot of females can't, you know, necessarily play competitive sports, training Tuesdays, two days a week and then playing on weekends is not ideal. So the physical activity strategy and be active was a, a key part of that the informal sport so pilates in park you know yoga and, and doing a lot of that sort of informal activity to provide flexibility of timing as well so it might be during the day or you know first thing in the morning on the weekends or at night so that to provide that flexibility for women to participate when they can rather than being a saturday afternoon and as we know with sport unfortunately um there's a lot of history there with, you know, being male dominated at set times that they play, whereas females sort of just get put on a Sunday. And if they can't play on that Sunday, then they miss that opportunity. So it's about providing that flexibility, which council has done and will continue to do. 
We're talking to Paul Battaglia, the Sports and Recreation Coordinator at the Brimbank City Council. What's some of the real focuses that you guys are putting on for sports in the future of Brimbank? Yeah, like I mentioned, it's probably the informal side. The structured side's great, but probably trying to look at some of the physical activity, you know, side about getting people. So informal sports and, you know, whether it's, you know, touch rugby or AFL nines or summer sevens with soccer, but looking at a, a range of different sort of social activities to get people involved that just want to turn up and play. Um, we've got such a multicultural community that they just want to turn up and play. And, and, and a lot of our parks and gardens we've actually opened up um, and we've built multi-purpose courts that are free for the community. So, for example, at Arrington Reserve, um, we got funding through the state government um, through Sport and Recreation in Victoria. We built this multi-purpose court at Arrington Reserve, which has got volleyball, soccer, basketball, and we've got lights on it as well. That's purely a free access um, to, to the community to use that. And it's about that informal side just to be actively encouraging people to come and, and play. So we're looking at more informal ways of getting people involved. And that includes, yeah. like I said, yoga in the park, Pilates in the park, that sort of thing as well. Yes, and living in Brimbake, I, I can see those um, those little outdoor gyms being built all around Absolutely. town. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's really, it's brilliant. And I, once COVID's done, I can't wait to, to go and use them. Um, and I'm sure, you know, after you, you've told us here, all the listeners um, can get excited for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us um, some of the challenges you guys might face as a council and some of the things that sporting clubs demand what might be how you guys deal with them as a whole and what might be a few of the challenges there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think clubs facilities is always the big thing. And I think the sports facility development plan, like I mentioned, is fantastic because the clubs can see, you know, where they are. There's a priority list and, and what's next on the list. But I think the, the big challenge, you know, for a lot of clubs is the growth of sport and, you know, the, the facilities in terms of um, lack of facilities. You know, we'd love to have open space, you know, that we can, you know, go and use tomorrow and when a club grows that we can just find them somewhere else. So the challenge is, is, you know, a lot of clubs are growing and that's brilliant, but that brings its challenges in terms of space. So that's probably the key one where we have a lot of clubs, you know, sharing facilities now and having to be more flexible with multi-purpose use of facilities um, and councils building a lot of those as part of, you know, what we are doing to, yeah. So it's not a soccer specific, you know, a reserve. It might be an oval that can cater for soccer, can cater for rugby, can cater for whatever it may be and and that's what we are doing and we're building additional facilities to support that so you might have three you know three um sports grounds at one reserve but if you only got two change rooms it really limits capacity so supporting the infrastructure for some of that as well but we are um looking at you know other ways and means to support sport support clubs with their growth um and that's around you know trying to get multi-purpose use of facilities definitely Brilliant. Uh, well, thanks very much, Paul, for coming on today and uh, coming on the Sports Hour show to speak to us. And a special thank you must go out to the Brimbank as well for supporting uh, the Brimbank live show and um, Ralph Barber's live FM uh, radio station. So, yeah, pass on those thank yous to, to your uh, members um, at work. And, um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on today, Paul. Nah, appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could uh, be of some assistance. And yeah, let's hope, um, you know, what's happening, you know, moves pretty quickly and, and people can get back to playing sport, which is what we want as well. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Paul. All right. And that, good on you. And that was Paul Battaglia from the Brimbank City Council, the Sports and Recreation Coordinator. And we thank him for coming on the Sports Hour show on Brimbank Live on Live FM. 
And once again, we thank Paul Battaglia, Sport and Recreation Coordinator at the Brimbank City Council, for coming on the show. And uh, we extend our thanks to the Brimbank City Council for supporting all the radio shows on Brimbank Live on Live FM and uh, allowing us to, to put all these shows together for you guys. So uh, we thank them. Uh, now we're going to go to a break, uh, but we'll, after the break we're going to have Patrick Morrow for our news update. And uh, we'll also hear from Isabella Collins um, about weekend sport and all that's coming up in the world of AFL football. Um, so look forward to that on Brimbank Live on Live FM, the Sports Hour. Welcome back to the Sports Hour show on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Now we're going to get some news from sports writer Patrick Morrow. Thanks, Max, for having me on. Uh, in the world sport news today, we'll start with the US Open. Uh, Dominic Thiem won his first major at the US Open defeating uh, German Alexander Zverev in five sets. Uh, it's the first time in 79 years at the US Open that any player has come back from two sets down. Uh, team was in full emotion after the match. Yeah, definitely. I achieved a, a life goal and a dream of myself, which I had for many, many years. Um, of course, as a kid as well, when I started to play tennis, but back then it's it's so far away. And then... Uh, I got closer and closer to the top and at one point I realized that wow maybe one day I can really won or I can really win one of the four biggest titles in tennis and I put a lot of work in I mean I dedicated basically my whole life until this point to to win one of the four majors and now I did it so that's also for myself a, a great accomplishment and I mean, it's it's by far not only myself. It's an accomplishment uh, from from all my team, from all my family, and I guess also that today is is the day where I gave back a huge amount of what they did for me. Uh, now to the NBA playoffs. Uh, the Miami Heat have knocked off the Boston Celtics in Game One of the Eastern Conference Finals. While in the Western Conference side, the Denver Nuggets, out of all the teams, have caused a huge upset in knocking off the LA Clippers in Game 7 of the NBA uh, Western Conference Finals, semi-finals, sorry, and with point guard Jamal Murray having 40 points in the win. They'll now play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals uh, today. And now to the Premier League. Uh, well, it started with a bang. Liverpool uh, bet Leeds in a goal fest, four goals to three. Uh, Mohamed Salah scored his first hat-trick of the season, and uh, it was a quite a crazy game of soccer. Half away by Phillips. This is goal. Down goes Fabinho, and Liverpool have themselves a second penalty. And Salah for an opening day hat trick, and he does brilliantly. And Liverpool lead 4-3. Now to the Grand Prix. I was utter chaos. Can only describe the Tuscan Grand Prix with two red flags. Seven cars were fired out of the race. Only left 11 cars remaining. What was funny enough, Lewis Hamilton remained unscathed from the crash and went on to win the race. It was a hell of a day. I feel like, I just feel exhausted because it's like, yeah, we've done three races today, you know? And Valtteri was pushing the whole time. It's one of the most physical races there is, I think. So, just mentally and emotionally destroyed. <laughs> now to baseball. The Chicago Cubs are in winning ways beating the Milwaukee Brewers 12 runs to zero. Also, the match was quite special due to the pitcher from the Chicago Cubs, Alec Mills, throwing a no-hitter, which is the first in the Cubs' long history. 
And that is all your sport today. Back to you, Max. And thanks to Patrick for uh, giving us that news update. Uh, after the break, we're going to get our weekend sports segment from Isabella Collins, where we'll hear about AFL and all the other sports happening this weekend and all the big events that are on. So stick around for that. Uh, and I look forward to having you on the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Welcome back to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Just a reminder, if you haven't put your vote in yet uh, for Don Bradman's cricket pitch, childhood cricket pitch, where he grew up and where he learned to love the game of cricket, um, the game that took him so far uh, even to become the best batsman to have ever played the game of cricket in Australia. Um, as a batsman so uh, jump on that poll and uh, vote stay and uh, yeah let's preserve such a historical pitch that is heritage listed now we're going to go to our weekend sports segment where we invite Isabella Collins to give us a wrap up uh, of the AFL coming up this weekend thanks Max Uh, thanks for having me again um, by the way but yeah today I'm going to be just chatting about uh, the round 18 for AFL season. Obviously, we had a match last night, so I will be talking about that. But, yeah, I can't believe it's already round 18. We're already at the end of the home and away season. I actually haven't minded this shortened season. I want the game time to go back to normal for next year, but I actually wouldn't mind if they kept the season short like it is this year. But, yeah, to get on to the game, so last night we had St Kilda defeat uh, GWS by 52 points, which... It's quite a big win, actually. Um, it's great for the Saints. They're going to be making finals now, first time in nine years. So it's great for those fans that have been supporting that club. Um, and then, get, on the other hand, GWS is a huge disappointment for them. They obviously made a grand final last year, and now they're not even going to make the finals. So there's going to be a few calls to make, I think, for next year. I think some players are going to be leaving the club. Um, Leon Cameron, he's going to be sticking around because he actually signed a contract extension um, about a month ago. So... Yeah, it's a bit of a worry they did that, I guess, now they're not even making finals. Uh, then today we've got Essendon playing Melbourne. Um, this is a this should be a close game. Melbourne have to win um, to maybe make finals. Um, they have to have other results go their way. Um, but in saying that, Essendon will want to give something back to their fans and want to put on a good performance. So this should be a close match. Then we've got Adelaide versus Richmond um, at Adelaide Oval. I'd say Richmond should win this match. They're obviously the best team I think I believe they are this year. Um, But in saying that Adelaide will put up a good fight, they've been playing pretty well the past few weeks, and it is in Adelaide. Then we've got Brisbane versus uh, Carlton at the Gabba. You'd think Brisbane will win this match, but in saying that, like Essendon, Carlton will want to give something back to their fans, especially from their disappointing loss last week. So it could be a closer game than some people think. Then we've got Hawthorne versus Gold Coast Suns at Adelaide Oval. I'm going Gold Coast to win this match just because they've got a bit more better. They've got a bit better talent and they're, they're probably a better team at the moment. Um, but in saying that, Hawthorne will want to go out in a, in a good way and obviously they've got a few players retiring. So this could be a very close match, but I'll go Gold Coast just because it is in Adelaide. Um, Hawthorne have had a bit more experience there this year. Then we've got Sydney versus Geelong. Obviously, I'm a Geelong supporter, so I'm hoping Geelong get up to this match. Uh, Sydney, Sydney actually been playing pretty well uh, the back half of this year, so it could be a could be a tight match. And I think Sydney will um, will push us a little bit, but I think Geelong. We don't usually lose two in a row very often, and we did lose last week, so we need to win as well. Top four. Then we've got Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs um, at Cairns. So this game could go either way because it is in Cairns. And Freo actually have been playing pretty good footy. 
Western Bulldogs have to win to make the eight. If they don't win, they probably won't be making the eight. So I'll be going Bulldogs just because there's more on the line. So this should be a cracker game. And then lastly, we've got Monday night. Uh, we've got Collingwood versus Port Adelaide to finish off the home and away season. This should be a cracker game as well. Um, we've got Port Adelaide probably playing better footy, obviously, there on top of the ladder. But Collingwood have got a few players back. Um, so I reckon this will be a close match. It is at the Gather, so that will um, help Collingwood a lot. Um, but in saying that, I will go Port Adelaide to win this game um, just because they are they have been a better team this year. So that's about it with my wrap-up for AFL. And thanks, Isabella, for giving us an update there on AFL and what's ahead this weekend. Uh, now I'm going to go... Uh, and hear about the NRL, where no team outside the top eight can make the finals in the NRL, so there's not a heap to be excited about for this weekend. However, the Melbourne Storm face the West Tigers today, uh, so tune in to that and get behind the Vicks. In the IPL, the first game of the tournament begins at 11.30pm uh, on Sunday night between the Mumbai Indians and the Chennai Super Kings. The Chennai Super Kings have MS Dhoni, Dwayne Bravo, Imran Tahir, and the Aussies in that team are Josh Hazelwood and Shane Watson, um, as well as Mike Hussey as the batting coach. Um, but Shane Watson, what a remarkable career. Um, he's still playing uh, in the IPL years after retiring, retiring from international cricket. Dhoni will captain that team, uh, the Chennai Super Kings. The Mumbai Indians have Rohit Sharma, Quinton de Kock, Boomerah, Trent Bolt, Kieran Pollard, and the Australians in that team are Chris Lynn, James Patterson and Coulton Isle. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty strong team, the Mumbai Indians. The Delhi Capitals have Rabada and Prithvi Shaw. Um, Aussies featured in the Delhi Capitals are Alex Carey, Marcus Stoinis, Daniel Sams, Ricky Ponting is the head coach, and Ryan Harris is the fast bowling coach for the Delhi Capitals. The King XI Punjab have Chris Gale, uh, the, the player that excites me most in this tournament and probably any other tournament in the world. Um, Sheldon Cottrell as well, uh, another West Indian in that team. Uh, K.L. Rahul, Muhammad Shami. Aussies in the team are Glenn Maxwell, who has moved around a bit in the IPL and now comes back to the Kings XI Punjab, where he previously played earlier in, in his career. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be an exciting team with Chris Gale, Glenn Maxwell in it, uh, the King XI Punjab. Uh, the Kolkata Knight Riders have Andre Russell, Dinesh Kartik, Sunil Narayan and Tom Banton. Aussies in the team include Pat Cummins, Chris Green and David Hussey as the mentor. Um, that's the Kolkata Knight Riders. Uh, obviously, there's other players in the team, but um, yeah, I'm just... Um, uh, highlighting some of the, the stronger players in these IPL sides, the Indian Premier League. Uh, now to the Rajasthan Royals, who have Ben Stokes, Jofra Archer, Josh Butler, Tom Curran, David Miller. Aussies in the team are Steve Smith, Andrew Ty, Andrew McDonald is the head coach, and Rob Castle is the fast bowling coach. And Steve Smith will captain the Rajasthan Royals. Um, so he finds himself in a leadership position there at the Rajasthan Royals. Um, the Royal Challengers have the one and only Mr. Popular, Virat Kohli, who will be captaining the side. A.B. De Villiers is in that team. Dale Stain. Aussies in the team include Aaron Finch, Josh Phillippe, Adam Zampa, Simon Kadich. Adam Griffiths is the fast bowling coach, and Simon Kadich isn't playing. Um, he, he's the head coach. Um, but wow, what a batting lineup that will be. 
Aaron Finch, Virat Kohli, AB de Villiers. Um, that, 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 that'll be something good to watch. Um, and yeah, so many teams in the IPL are going to be good to watch with all these amazing players, world class. Um, and the last team is the Sunrisers Hyderabad, uh, who have Benawesha Kumar, Johnny Bairstow, Kane Williamson, Mohamed Nabi, and Rashid Khan, the leg spinner. Uh, who played at the Adelaide Strikers. Uh, Aussies in the team include David Warner, Billy Stanlake, Mitchell Marsh, Trevor Bayless is the head coach, and Brad Haddon is the assistant coach of the Sunrisers Hyderabad. Warner will captain that team. Uh, yeah, so he finds himself back in a leadership position, um, which is which is fantastic for him um, and a good opportunity. Um, it's it's a seven week tournament, uh, just under a seven week tournament, and uh, some of the some of the the auctions and and the way uh, they they've played out. Pat Cummins going for three point one six million, um, David Warner two point three million, um, Steve Smith two point three as well, Glenn Maxwell two point one nine million, Nathan Coulson Isle one point six three million, Marcus Stoinis nine hundred and eighty thousand. Um, Aaron Finch, 897,000. Shane Watson, can you believe it? At this stage of his career, he's gone to the Channel Super Kings for 775,000. Um, Alex Carey, 490,000. And the list goes on. Um, it's it's remarkable. Um, so the money these players are on for this tournament. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely worth tuning into this tournament. Um, a lot of good cricketers... Uh, stepping on the field to play, um, so tune into that. Uh, the tournament will start Sunday night at eleven thirty. Um, so jump on and uh, yeah, get around the IPL, the Indian Premier League. Uh, to the NBA in the NBA, the Miami Heat are up two nil against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Final. Game three between the teams is on tomorrow at ten a.m. Um, that's on Sunday. Uh, the Miami Heat have gone in as underdog underdogs in both matches um, against the Celtics and have put up a remarkable fight coming back from behind in the games. Um, and some players just turning it on. Look out for uh, Adebayo, Crowder and Jimmy Butler for the Miami Heats. Um, they've, they've been killing it, um, the Miami Heat. So um, tune into that and watch them play. Uh, the Celtics have a gun in Jason Tatum as well. So... Um, yeah, the Celtics will need to step up their game because they're 2-0 down. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the next game. Um, it's a must-win for the Celtics as they are 2-0 down in the series. In the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers are currently playing the Denver Nuggets uh, on Saturday morning. Um, and that that's game one in that series. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets perform against a very strong Lakers team. Um, so tune into that. To the US Golf, US Open Golf, uh, Patrick Reed takes a one-shot lead heading into the last round of the tournament. Justin Thomas is t- two under, tied in third place. The Aussies, Cameron Smith is four over, tied at 28, while Adam Scott is four over, tied at 33. Jason Day is tied 49 at six over. Um, tune in to that over the weekend. Um and that wraps up our weekend sport. Plenty to watch. You got the IPL, you got the NBA playoffs, the conference finals, um, you got NRL as well. And uh, as Isabella spoke about before, the AFL last round of the year. Um, plenty to watch. 
before the final series begins. So um, get excited for that. And uh, now we're going to go and hear some uh, some of the poll results from today. We welcome our resident philosopher, Charlie Gill, to the Sports Hour to discuss some poll results and some other interesting stories happening in the world of sport. Welcome, Charlie Gill. Great to be here, Max. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on and uh, really keen to get your thoughts as always. Now, our poll for today was, um, should Don Bradman's childhood cricket pitch stay or go? Um, it's the pitch he grew up on, the pitch he first fell in love with the game. Now, he is Australia's best ever batsman to have ever played the game. Now, can you give us some thoughts? Should the pitch stay or go? They want to build some houses on it. Yeah, well, look, um, just from, like, hearing this story at the surface level, like, the natural reaction is always to say, of course it shouldn't go. Whenever um, there's housing developments, you know, sort of in the sentence, you always think, oh, okay, that they're putting up big houses on top of sort of um, sort of special um, sort of things. And whether it's, you know, traditional sort of, like, sites or historical sites or whether it's Don Bradman's cricket pitch, um, you never like hearing that a bunch of people are going to just stick up a bunch of ugly houses on top of it and pretty much expunge its memory. However, um, when I was just looking at the poll, I can see that 95% of the people, you know, agreed with me in that regard and said that um, the childhood cricket pitch should stay. The 4.3% that said it should go. And there's one person that replied to the poll saying that um, he never he never knew of the existence of the pitch before he heard of it, and um, he considered himself a big cricket fan, and he grew up 30 minutes from Boral. Um, and he says it serves a better legacy to let it go because nobody's forgetting his legacy. Um, it's true. Like I'll be honest with you, I hadn't heard of. Don Bradman's childhood cricket pitch before I, I read the story saying that they were considering putting housing developments over the top. Um, so, you know, I guess it is just a cricket pitch, but you know, it has got a lot of meaning. So, yeah, I mean, I think it should stay, but um, it's not sort of as, you know, it's not a definite answer for me. Well, no, t- take it this way. I think it should stay because I just don't see why not. Like, they're going to put up housing developments on top of it. I guess people need somewhere to live. Um, but, you know, maybe they can find some sort of way to build around the cricket pitch because it is a nice idea to have people visit the pitch and sort of take it all in that this is the pitch where the greatest player of all time has been his childhood. Um, but I don't even think, based on what this person said, that um, he hadn't heard of the cricket pitch until today. That makes me think that maybe it's not some sort of sacred site. Well, in saying sacred site, I think it is because it's it's a heritage listed site. But absolutely, it's okay. it's a valid point. But um, I think I think that right. I think that it should stay. Um, in my opinion, and as you said as well. Um, but I think it's the reason why he might not remember it, and other people might not, is because they they should build a park around it, a nice park. They should. They should provide a bit of history for, for the location of this pitch. Imagine being a parent living near that area um, and and taking your kid. Yeah. Imagine if you had the chance to take your kid. So yeah. it's, it's, it's blocked off to the public at the moment. 
Um, but yeah, you if, know you, if you're a parent, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you're a parent and you've got a kid, how good would it be to um, yeah. to send your child to, to, to play on this cricket pitch? Yeah. Look, now I think about it, I'm actually embarrassed with my first answer because <laughs> now, that I, now that I've heard what you said and I've just sort of I've read through the article a bit um, and there's, there's, this, there's this quote that stuck out to me from someone named Miss Marnie who's quoted in the article. Um, on the ABC that says it would be a bit like getting rid of all the, of the desk. It would be a bit like getting rid of the desk that Shakespeare wrote all his works at, all his plays at. And that struck a chord with me. Um, and like you said, it's her- heritage listed. Um, yeah. I don't think that they should be putting big, ugly houses on top of it, such a iconic um, sacred cricket pitch. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that. And, um, yeah, I think that would just be a sad thing. It ha- it's just a common theme throughout the entire world for – you know, the past 100 years or whatever, like old sacred things with lots of significance um, being sort of torn down or sort of like put something over the top of them that sort of just like reduces their memory pretty much just for money and for other sort of completely um, like unstory-like. In this world to have as many story-like things as you can get, um, as many sort of transcendent places um, that can be visited and, yeah, Don Bradman's cricket pitch is just another one in a long line of people trying to, you know, pave over important things um, to their personal gain. Um, like I said, I understand why housing developments need to occur, but, yeah, just put them somewhere else, not over Don Bradman's cricket pitch. We both agree on this point, and uh, it's great that we've come to a conclusion. Um, if the listeners <laughs> out there still disagree, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts because... Um, yeah, not, not, as we said, not over ninety percent of people have voted stay. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's one of those things. Um, feel free to jump on though and share your thoughts. Um, but I wanted to talk about other things today as well, Charlie. Now, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to get before we get into Carlton and where yeah. they're at. I wanted to get a word on Cade Simpson yep. and Matthew Cruiser as a Carlton All supporter. Right. All right. Well, let me think. Cade is – I'll get to Cade last because Cade is probably a bit more important to me. No disrespect to Cruiser because Cruiser is underrated, I think, because he was really good and when he was – this is what everyone will say, but when he was on the park, like, he was really good. He was like a follow-up midfielder, sort of, I guess, sort of similar to Grundy. Um and he was just a really good ruckman. Like, he was definitely in Australian contention a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, he's just body um, always continued to let him down. But he was at our club for a long time. He was a number one draft pick back in the early 2000s. Um, can't remember exactly what year. Maybe it was 2007, I think it was. It was mm-hmm. the same draft as Dangerfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, um, so late 2000s. But, um, yeah, he just always – like, that's what everyone says. Um, and that's – and, like, you know – in terms, when it comes to my opinion on Cruiser, you've got to defer to the people that spent their time around him. And it seems to me, from everything I've read and everything I've watched, that everyone seemed to love Cruiser because he always was, you know, they called him the heart and soul of the club and everything. So I'm sad to see him retire because I think, just in terms of our um, list at the moment, we really could have, we, we actually, we, we, I would have loved to have kept him because we've got Pinnett and we've got um, Tom DeConning, like coming up the ranks, he's going to be good. But it would be nice to have that third option, Cruiser, an experienced rock. Maybe he'll stay at the club as a rock coach or something. But then when it gets to Kate Simpson, where do I even where do I even begin? I just adore that man. 
he's he's an unbelievable figure because I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for for him. But think of it this way: there's a a strong, proud boat that is sailing through the waters, and that boat is the Carlton Football Club, or rather the team. Um, and it's had a lot of success along the way. It's been one of the most successful boats in the water, one of the most successful ships in the water. But you know, as time went on, a couple storms hit. You know, there probably were storms that were almost self-inflicted. I'm referring to the salary cap stuff, etc. Um, but you know, and, and, but after the storms hit, I'm, I'm just trying to go with this metaphor. I'm just going to try and do as best as I can. Um, yeah. um, after the storm hit. There was just only one single propeller that was just moving. That was just moving the Carlton Footy team forward. And for me, that was Cade Simpson. Or rather, maybe there was just there was a hole in the boat. There were all these holes in the boat, and the boat was slowly sinking. And one man had to get around and try and patch everything up. And for me, that was Cade Simpson. Now it's probably a bit of hyperbole because like there are 21 other players in the team, so he's not that good. But like it's hard to explain how good it made you feel as a fan. I reckon to to show up every week and just see Kate there. Like he's always there. He's yeah. just always there. Like it's just like he's like the wallpaper. Yeah. Like he's he's just he's always going to be in the back pocket of the halfback flank, often in his long sleeves, just getting the footy and giving the footy away. Um, and yeah, I just think that he is a a champion of of, of our club. Um, and he's played, what, 300-something games. Like, there was that big photo shoot last year with him and Bruce Doyle and Silvani and Greg Bradley, just like all these champions of the club, and he was one of them. But the other thing about Cade is that um, I'm just – that whole um, sort of ramble I just went on just in relation to how I saw him as a fan of, of the club. But in the context of just, like, the AFL in general, um, I just want to say that – see, Cade – he now has the record for the most losses of any VFL slash AFL player. Um, he's he surpassed um, Kevin Murray, who's like a, a legend of the game um, last year, I think. Um, so I saw, you know, some absolute. I just have to call them losers that were, um, you know, making comments when Simpson retired, at saying his stuff like he's the biggest loser in the history of the game. And other stuff like that. And, you know, I've got to say it made me angry because when you bring the joy that Cade Simpson has and when you give the service that he has, you're not a loser. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, also he's played in six finals. He won a couple of finals, so that's more than a lot of players. Um, but, yeah, if you just judge him on the amount of losses he's had to say, oh, he's the biggest loser in the game's history, like you're using, you know, what is called the accountant's truth to, you know, measure his impact as a player. Um, and it's just not the real truth because – the real truth lies in, um, I would say, yeah, the joy he's, he's, he's brought to um, so many people um, and, yeah. the, and the service he's given and the man he is. He yeah. loves his club and his club loves him. I think it says a lot when he's the, the he's lost the most games out of any player to play the game, but yeah. it just shows a lot of his character to be able to, 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 to play yeah. for that long and, and be a part of a team that, that really struggled. Um, yeah, so it's, so a, it's a real yeah. credit to him, Charlie. But I wanted to yeah. move on. I really wanted to get your thoughts. And well done yeah. to Matthew Cruiser as well on a remarkable career. Um, yeah. But what's next for Carlton? They lost to bottom-placed team, Adelaide, who have really been struggling. Carlton yeah. started the year very well. They, 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 they were even good in the middle stages. But 
you came on the show, I think maybe last week or the week before, and you said you yes, want you want you want your side you want your side to win two or three games out of the last three. Yeah. Now they've lost to the bottom team, Adelaide. Mm. Give, give, give us some honesty because this this team. Hang on, hang on. Give us something from the heart. <laughs> give us some honesty because this right. this team start, has almost. You want to start crying? Yeah. Hang on. Let me finish. All right. <laughs> This team has almost thrown away a fair bit of progress over the year with these last few games. Give us some honesty. What needs to change? Where are they at? All right. Well, I'm a big believer in the fact that almost every AFL fan, or not almost everyone, but so many of them, are remarkably short-sighted. Um, now, maybe people will accuse me of having a superiority complex. It's not that or anything. Um, I don't think that I'm smarter or better than any fan just because I appear to be a bit more patient. It's just that I find it frustrating when we have a bad loss and and this goes for any team and people just just overreact so much. Like progress isn't linear. I've said this since the start of the rebuild. Progress isn't linear. In terms of this season, this is what I'm talking about, the short-sightedness. Yes, the loss to Adelaide was bad considering they were oh, probably the worst team in the comp. I'd say maybe North are worse now. I mean, they'd won two games in a row before playing us, so they had momentum. Um, and we didn't have momentum, even though we beat Sydney, which should have beaten by a lot. So we were sort of falling down and they were going up. But anyway, yeah, we shouldn't have lost to them. Um, but, I mean, you've got to keep things in perspective. It's a very strange season, um, you know, I know that it's a strange season for every other team as well, but like I'm not trying to give them excuses. I'm just saying that it's a strange season. It's not like that game shows that Adelaide are ahead of us or anything. I don't think anyone's suggesting that either. Um, I'm just sort of saying that um, I guess I'd like everyone to sort of relax a little bit. It's a bad loss. Let's move on. And like you said, um, a couple of weeks ago, I said the real you know, to the way in which our season will be sort of seen is whether we can win two of the next three because we should beat Sydney, we should beat Adelaide and we should probably lose and we should lose to Brisbane. Um, and if we can win two of those next three, then it's been a pretty good season. We didn't make finals, but gone better. And if we can't win two of those next three, then we'll probably leave the, get, leave the season on a bit of a disappointing um, note. Um, and yeah, I think that holds true. I'm not going to back away from that. Um, we yeah. just with Sydney. We lost to Adelaide, which is terrible, and now we've got Brisbane. And if we can beat Brisbane in Cade's last game, then this season this season is definitely going to go on a high. I think everyone's going to be pretty happy. But if we lose badly, then it's going to be like I'll be pretty angry. I'll be upset. Um, and if we lose by a little bit, then I'll be, you know, I'll be sort of. Now, Charlie, Charlie, you guys got over the line to Sydney by five points. and Well done. That was a great win. Thank you. Okay. But, but Charlie, do you think it's a bit of a disciplinary issue at Carlton? Because David Teague, he's come into the role as an assistant coach and he's come in now as head coach. Do you think the players are sort of not, not disciplined and not... And David Teague isn't hard enough on these players and he hasn't gathered the authoritative 
power on this group? Do you yeah. think these no, players good, are, are off the hook too much and they're not they're not listening yeah. to Teague, they're not respecting him as much as they should? That's a valid question, but um, I wouldn't say – I mean, I don't know. I'm not around the club and obviously neither of you. No one is except players and the people that work there, but from the outside – it doesn't seem to me that the players wouldn't respect him. It's just that sometimes he does seem a little soft. Like he, he's got a very calm sort of friendly demeanor. Like you know that he wouldn't be, you know, a strict dad. He would be the ch- dad. Like you, you can just tell from the way he talks and the way he walks. Yeah. Uh, and I love that about him because he just seems like such a friendly guy. Um, but yeah, sometimes like half time off half-time or quarter-time against that game in Adelaide, I just wanted him to just scream at them, to be honest, because like, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and he's the man that's in the position to do it. So yeah. I wanted him to rev him up. And, yeah, yeah I agree. Like, man, he doesn't seem to have that authoritative sort of, um, yeah, sort of stature. But I don't, think, I don't really think there's question marks about whether the players respect him. I think yeah. they do. But, yeah, I would like there to be sort of – well. Look, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of fear, if you know what I mean. Like amongst like players, like in a little bit of fear, like when you need to impress the coach, like you want things to be good, um, and have good relationships. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Well, the way I see it, do, do you, you guys were down by seven goals at half time against you guys. One goal, yeah. one goal, three to eight goals, five against Adelaide yeah. at half time. Do you, yeah. do you think it's 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 a bit? It's not just Teague, right? His nature. Is to be, is to be, you know, sort of more gentle. He he's not really that guy that 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 probably. I'm not sure. We're not sure. We're not, we're not the players, but he's probably not that guy that that likes to spray the group. Yeah. But do you think it's up to the players to understand the coach better and understand that when it's time to step up, it's we read T and we read his message. And we respect it. We we respect the coach more. We respect the club yeah, more. No. The, that's where the players the, the players need to be responsible for that. They know who mm. their coach is. They should understand yeah. when it's time to step up. I think it's yeah. the, it's the players' fault here. It's not just Teague. Yeah, but I know what you're trying. I know what you're saying, but really, it's just speculation because you know you wouldn't know whether um, you know how the players' relationship with the coach. In my mind, the problems we have at the moment not that I can see life from Teague's demeanour or personality or anything, or the players' personal relationships with them. It's literally with the coaching of football itself. Like some of the inside 50 entries have just been just like a tragedy to watch. Um, I'd say we're making somewhat strange decisions um, when it comes to who gets to play each week. Um, so, yeah, when, I think, when I'm thinking about problems involving coaching, I'm not thinking about personalities or Teague himself. I'm thinking about the strategies we've got at play because at the moment it's not really working. Our inside 50 entries are abominable. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't no. think, I don't think anyone, I don't think there's any, like, you know what, Teague is, I'd say, if we, lose, if we lose this game, which we probably will, Teague is still, you know, He's probably gotten par for this season, maybe a little bit under par. Oh, look. Um, but yeah. You've got to put into perspective where we've come from. We've been bad for so long. Well, not yeah. so like our, our rebuild started five years ago. Um, and yeah. we're sort of coming up from that. And we haven't finished this high for a while, I guess. Um, and it's not very high, but it's better than nothing. And we've just got to keep keep sticking at it because, um, yeah, things take time. Well. Resident philosopher, I, I really like your thoughts. I, I like your calmness. 
about this matter because you're right. You're very right. Supporters can overreact to these situations when teams have bad losses. It might just be a bad day. So I really like your thoughts on that. And uh, also loved your thoughts on the poll and everything else. So a big thank you for you for joining us. Once again, the all-reliable resident philosopher, Charlie Gill. Thanks for coming on the Sports Hour. That's all right, Hattie. Thanks for having me. With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM.